Hi, this is Kalia. And this is Chris. And this is It's, it's a, a Queer, queer thing. thing. On this show, we focus on politics, civil rights, news, and entertainment. And on this show, we have special guests and interviews focusing on issues relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. So let's get to it. Hey, Ka- uh, you're not Kalia. No, I'm not. No, James Hensley is in the studio hosting with me today. Hi, James. Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me. So, James is my husband, if you guys don't know, and uh, Kalia is traveling this weekend, so she's not able to be here. So, James is filling in. And, James, you just got off quite a little um, experience with Valentine's Day. James manages and runs DNL Floral. Tell us how it went. It went well. It's a busy, busy time. It's our busiest time of the year, obviously. We had over 400 deliveries. Wow. So it was a bit crazy, and uh, but we love doing it. We love spreading the love and, and helping people share their joy. And what about any any interesting queer couples come in? We, we had a few, yes, yeah. and uh, always interesting. We always carry the rainbow roses during this time. Okay. Real, real popular. Anything left over? We have a little bit left over. We're actually... running any specials for people who don't have or who broke up on Valentine's Day? (laughs) We have, for those that forgot, we have $10 grab-and-go dozen roses wrapped up in cellophane. Uh, I imagine those are mostly men that come in the next day and go, oh, Mostly men. Interestingly enough, this is the first year I did not open the door on the 15th to three or four men standing outside desperate to get something. Really? Yes. There's always those few. Because this week you had the Super Bowl and then you had Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday was on Valentine's yeah. Day. We had Lincoln's birthday on Monday, so a lot of businesses were closed. And that's a, that's the most fun part about delivering on uh, Valentine's Day is going into a business and watching all the women look up and smile and then you say the name of the recipient and they stop smiling because it's not them and they say she sent them to herself (laughs) (laughs) it's very cruel that would be fun well um speaking of valentine's day you might think this sounds like a valentine's thing uh we're talking about queer crush uh but it's not it's something a little bit different and we're going to cut over to an interview we did with lisa from queer crush right now So, hello, and welcome to the show, Lisa. Lisa, please tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Sure. My name is Lisa Lindsay, and I am co-captain of the Queer Crush Meetup that happens at Meadowmark Climbing and Fitness. Great. So what exactly is Queer Crush? Because when I first heard it, I thought, are they, are they smashing something? Are they, is this like a recycling project? Aluminum cans? Like what's going on? What's, what is Queer Crush? Okay. So first of all, in rock climbing, a crush is when you do a climb perfectly. So it's a rock climbing term. So that's where the crush part comes from. 
But Queer Crush specifically is about creating safe and inclusive spaces for those who are diverse in their gender, romantic, and sexual orientation. So they're about empowering queer, trans, black, indigenous, and people of color of all abilities to seek healing, health, community, and connection with the land through the art and sport of climbing. So some of that was taken from the mission statement. But basically it's about getting giving people a chance to try rock climbing and making it as accessible and fun as possible. So you just said the art and sport of climbing. And I totally, having <laughs> watched some people do some rock climbing, can understand the sport part of it. But can you talk to us about what is the art of rock climbing? There's some elements that come to mind for me. I think different people would have different answers for that. But for me, I find, like, when I'm climbing and it's like a a climb that's really like pushing my limit it's kind of like a meditative practice like I'm kind of getting like just into the flow of things and it's it's about leaving everything behind and just kind of trying to figure out a puzzle almost so it's it's much more than just a physical sport for a lot of people it's it's a lot about the mental part so I don't know if that's really the art but that's kind of what no that makes perfect sense yeah. So Queer Crush is a national 501c3 organization, correct? Yes, they have meetups all over the country, but it did start here in California up in the Bay Area. Okay. So basically your gym decided to partner with Queer Crush to run these events at your gym, right? Correct. Yeah. My my friend Amanda and I were at an event up in the Bay Area where we got, met folks who were doing it there. And we were just like, this would be great. Fresno needs, needs this. And that was about almost a year and a half ago now. And we came back. Middle Mark was very receptive, very supportive. And it's just grown from there. So who comes to the, because the Queer Crush is every, what is it, the third Friday every of every third month? Friday, yes. yeah. Every third Friday at 6 o'clock, there's folks who come who've never tried rock climbing before, and we can help lay them. They can try it out. Maybe they love it, maybe they don't, but it's just a chance to try it out. And then there's other folks who are rock climbers, who are wanting to meet other rock climbers, who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And it's just a chance to be a part of, you know, connecting with other folks. And then there's some that are gym members that have been going to the gym but haven't really met people yet and are, you know, just trying to build community. So the first time you come, it's free. After that, it's $20. So that is cheaper than it would be otherwise. But if you're a member, of course, it's always free. And the harness and all of that is free each time as well. So folks who like rock climbing but find it, you know, kind of expensive, if you come during Queer Crush, it's a little more affordable. Okay. So is the goal of people coming to the gym to join Queer Crush? I'm sure I know there's a few goals, but is the goal of the on the rock climbing perspective of it to get them trained to go on a real mountain or do they just like to come to the gym? and do the rock climbing at the gym, or do you have both? Yeah, I would say it's both. Um, Queer Crush here in Fresno doesn't organize outside climbs right now. That's kind of a different a different level of responsibility. I'm not taking that on. But um, we certainly, you know, there's, there's folks that I've met through Queer Crush that I've gone rock climbing with outside, and 
you know, that's certainly always something fun to help make happen. But there's certainly people who enjoy climbing indoors and, you know, don't don't have any interest in doing it outdoors. And that's completely fine, too. Do you have a feel for why the Queer Crush 501c3 was created in the first place? Was there a block to LGBTQ people? Did they feel insecure going out there with other folks? What was the whole genesis for all of that? Um, I don't want to misspeak beyond like what I do know, but I know it's it's really focused on creating inclusive spaces, and um, they're they're really practicing what they preach. So they have you know a diverse board. They have just you know all about really making it a place that people can be themselves. I think in the gym community, it can feel kind of male, hormone, you know, testosterone specific. Intimidating. Yeah. Intimidating. Yeah. And so, you know, as a new rock climber, when I started climbing like 10 years ago, like I definitely made friends, you know, my closest friends today are people I've met through this sport. But I would say that like initially, you know, you go in, you don't know anyone and you're just like, it's a by nature a sport that requires a partner if you're doing top rope climbing at least and so you do kind of have to have a starting point so just meant to make that easier for folks and to make it a space where people are feeling like they're a part of a community and I just love how Fresno is growing with options for the queer community that involve like physical activity and you know people getting out there and enjoying being in the in nature so it's been really fun. So if a beginner shows up at Queer Crush and they've never rock climbed before you said that there's something about helping people learn how does that work sure so we we have a table when you come in we can you know help you um get signed in at the front desk where you sign the waiver and everything and then um we usually do a circle up find out if people are new to climbing if they're you know experienced just to kind of make sure that people who are new are not thrown into the deep end and then there's always someone that can teach you how to belay which is you know, when you're helping someone get to the top of the wall, the belay person is the person keeping that person safe. So we can teach you how to do that if you came with a friend and you want to learn. But if you're just there to try it out and you're, you know, not necessarily interested in learning that, you know, there's plenty of people there who are experienced and are ready to jump in and just help you get to the top of the wall without you having to learn how to tie the knots and all that. So you have options, but... I, I always encourage people, you know, if they just want to try it out and then learn how to do all the rest, that's fun too. But it's really whatever people want. So where are you located? Queer Crush meets at Metal Mark here in Fresno, the third Friday. And Metal Mark is located at Cedar in Dakota. The exact address is 4042 North Cedar. Wonderful. At 6 o'clock on the third Fridays is Queer 6 Crush. 6 p.m. on the third Friday. And we always go up for pizza afterwards it's you know certainly not obligated but it, usually around eight o'clock we wrap up at the gym and head over to have fun at victory grill wonderful what are you getting out of queer crush lisa what is what does it bring to your life you know i've been climbing at metal mark for a really long time and i know lots of people but i i never realized how how many of the you know, just because it's a big gym and there's people there all the time. I didn't realize how large the LGBTQ community was there. And it's just been really neat to see 
people kind of making friendships that, you know, you wouldn't have even necessarily met otherwise. So it's just kind of a fun way to um, meet new people, but also there's a lot of people who've been rock climbing for a long time, and it's really fun to bring people into the sport and, you know, to have someone who's new at it jump in and decide that they like it and help them from there. Do you ever get, and I almost always ask this question, do you ever get any backlash from any of the gym members or comments, or is there any negativity around this at all? Um, I don't know if I would say this is negativity, but the gym manager told us that somebody asked, you know, well, can we start a Christian rock climbing group? And no. when she told me about that, I was like, sure, why not? You know, the more the more groups there are for people to make connections, yeah, the better. They so, They're just trying yeah, to Yeah, it didn't right. happen, but, <laughs> but yeah, that that... I wouldn't even really say backlash. I, I, I mean, that is a question that some groups ask uh, facilities that have queer groups because they want to test you. Yeah, so yeah. Say, not like, will you bake a gay cake? You know, it's the same kind of concept. But absolutely. I mean, I think the more ways there are for people to build community, the better. And that's all people. So absolutely. go for it. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't really say that's backlash. So it's, it's been, um, very, very supportive at Metal Mark. And I will say that, like, you know, like I said, um, rock climbing is a sport that requires a partner. And so there's been people showing up just, just to, you know, meet, meet more people. You know, it's not just, um, meeting a need for the LGBTQ community community. So that's cool. kind of been fun to see too. Very cool. Okay, great. So Lisa, if people want to find out more about Queer Crush, um, can you tell us about your social media handles? Sure. Queer Crush as a larger, larger organization, they're all over. You can find out all the gyms all over California and beyond at Queer Crush Climbing on Instagram. And then here in Fresno, we post pictures of our meetups and um, reminders when we have them at Queer Crush underscore Fresno. So that's both Instagram. And the main website is queercrush.org, I think, right, for the yeah. main... Yes, and yes. if you go to queercrush.org, you can find the locations for all the meetups, and you can also sign up for the newsletter that comes out monthly. Cool, cool. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. And as you know, we are typically recording from five to six on the third Fridays of every yes. month. But you know what, listeners, you can listen to our show while you drive over to Metal Mark. And then at six that's o'clock, right. when we say goodbye, you get out of the car and then look and then oh, you get more perfect. queerness that's in your just life. Perfect. I love it. And you can always show up after. <laughs> well. okay. We're there till late. All right. Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good night. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye bye. All right. Well, thanks to Lisa for that. So, you guys, you need to get over there to Metal Mark and climb a wall. I know Kaylee has done it. A lot of our friends have done it. I'm not going to do it. Would you let me do it? I would let you do it. You're not afraid I would fall? Well, you know you'd fall. You're a klutz. <laughs> but if you'd let me have some tequila while watching you, it would make things even better. Well, why not? So... Speaking of tequila. Speaking of tequila. <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know, James and I um, ran the North Tower Circle nightclub for many years. And uh, Fab in the Tower District just recently closed. I think their last night was New Year's Eve. I think so, yeah. Which leaves 
just two bars in town, the two. Splash and the Red Lantern. The Red uh, Lantern, which has been there for 30? 45 uh, years now. Oh, it's I not think. that it's long. It's been that it? long. Oh, I yeah. thought it was 30-something. No, it was in the late 70s that he, I think he purchased it. Yeah, so we've talked about this on the show and uh, around about, you know, the fact that gay bars are disappearing across the country. Um, part of that is because gay people can pretty much go anywhere they want now. Um, but there, there is a great romance around the gay bar lifestyle that Absolutely. we all had. So Absolutely. You, you were in bars and bartending and managing for how 35 many years? years? 35 years. So yeah. talk a little bit about that. Well, the gay bar has always been the safe space for our community. It's the place we can go and be ourselves without fear of any physical altercation, without any outside judgment. There's tons of judgment inside of bars. We all know. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was a place we could go, we could dance, we could be affectionate, we could put our arms around each other, we could hug and kiss. Um, other places took things farther, of course. And but oftentimes it was, it was the only place we It was go. our sanctuary, yes. And as the years went by and we became more and more accepted in society, I, I think, people started to feel like they could go anywhere they wanted to. They didn't necessarily have to go to a gay bar. So the gay bar kind of faded out in importance. But as I used to say, try hugging or kissing your partner or husband or boyfriend in the middle of an Applebee's and see what happens. You know, um, you know me, I see you're very affectionate, but I still get nervous about yeah. that when we're out in public. And yeah. I don't know why, but I do. It's ingrained in me. Well, there, there was a time during the early years of Trump um, and through some of the years of uh, George W. Bush, where gay bars were starting to come back into prominence because of the backlash that we were receiving nationwide from conservative groups and uh, politicians and some states to this day, um, the gay bars are making a huge resurgence, like in places like Texas or Florida, because the oppression is so strong now that it's kind of like pushing people back into their sanctuary. In Tennessee. Tennessee in in Tennessee. The, the Midwest, when, when I grew up in Ohio, at one point I think we had four or five gay bars in Dayton, Ohio, a very small town. Gay bars were very important to so, forming community. Why did you get into the business of gay bars? Well, I, I was tending bar initially just as a bartender with my stepmother. And when I started going out to gay bars, of course, it was kind of a, a lifting of my spirit because I was with people who felt like me, thought like me, experienced things like me that I didn't know really existed. Were you out at this time? I wasn't out to my family, no. My, my stepmother knew. 
No, my family didn't. And that was my place to be me without having to change pronouns, without having to make up stories about, you know, where I was the night before or what I was doing. And Weren't you very young when she first put you behind the bar to start mixing drinks? I was 17. Oh, I thought you were younger than that. No, I was 17. Um, so you were, it wasn't legal for you to be back there. In New Jersey, actually, the, the drinking age at that time was 17. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. And it was, I just, I was spending the summer with my dad and his wife in New Jersey and she worked at a bar and I was there one day and a guy was coming in and she was up making a hamburger for another customer and he asked me for a drink and she looked at me and nodded and I made it and that's how I fell into it. But finding the gay bar scene actually in Asbury Park, New Jersey, where I went to my first gay bar, because a woman at the bar was talking to me and she said, you need to go down on on Cookman Avenue. And I said, why do you say that? And she said, you're going to be a lot more comfortable and you're going to have a lot more fun. Did she mean that literally? She meant that literally. <clears throat> no, you're missing my point. Oh, go no. down on Cookman well, Avenue. Well, she might have thought that, yeah. but she she kind of knew. She said, you're going to be much happier. And Did she you was even right. know there were gay bars? Oh, I knew there were, yeah. Okay. But I didn't know. In, like where I grew up in Dayton, the bars were not clustered together. You didn't have a Castro district or right, uh, a Chelsea. Right? Yeah. A couple of them were. A couple of them were downtown. Of course, I didn't dare at that point go into them. You know, I mean, the gayest thing I ever did when I was 17 and publicly was convince friends of mine to go see Rocky Horror Picture Show at the the Dirty Movie Theater yeah, where yeah. it showed. So, I went through that, too. When I, I only saw Rocky Horror once in the theater um, here in Fresno, but when I went... I was still in high school. There was lots of gay gayness going around. Oh in yeah, there. oh yeah. It, it was a very artistic crowd. But you know, back to to the bars. When when I discovered the bars and the owner of the one bar asked me if I knew how to ten bar, and I said no, not really, but I kind of tried it. And he was like, well, I'm going to put you behind the bar. And he did, and I started working, and I just, I love the environment. But um, tell me about that first time you walked through the doors of a gay bar. Honestly, Were you alone? I was by myself, yeah. I, I walked, literally walked down the street from my stepmother's bar. It was about four blocks. Um, and I saw people on the street, and I started to feel excitement. When I walked through the doors, at the, the nightclub was called The Odyssey. And when I walked in the door, of course, the music was, you know, pounding and pulsing. And it was, I, I think it might have been like a ring my bell moment or something right, like that. Right. Because I walked in and I heard the music and I looked on the floor and I saw men dancing with men. And there were some women dancing with women. And I just, I smiled. Yeah. And I started laughing. And that night I met a person who became one of my best friends over the summer. It was so natural just to be able to be myself and and talk about things that interested me. And I, I just felt home. I felt like this is where I belong. And then you started working through. Started attending bar. Bar attending, eventually managing. Mm-hmm. 
So what do you think about the fact that gay bars are kind of disappearing? Do you think, I guess the question is, and we always talk about it, does it matter? I mean, since we can go to regular places. It does matter. It matters to me, it, it and I know it matter. matters to you. It does matter because as you try to assimilate into a society, the most dangerous part of assimilation is losing your identity. Yeah. Okay? Because when you try to make everyone else more comfortable with who you are, you tend to lose yourself in that effort. Right. And, you know, we used to laugh and joke, especially the people in our age group, you know, the kids today don't necessarily see the importance and the value of the community of the gay ghetto and the gay bars and and the people that surround. We used to know if if you were listening to say a Diana Ross number, okay, ain't no mountain high enough. Mm-hmm. We knew the people that used to go out to the bars when we were young because when they got to that point where she would sing ain't no mountain high enough, we would all throw our arms up in the air like she did (laughs) and you'd be like that's one of us you know but it's so important to have that community and that involvement in the community and not to let that go just because you're trying to be more accepted in society yeah and we have to remember there are members of the community today that you know, even though we have more spaces that are accepting to our community, there are people that are closeted and they are not probably going to step into a straight bar, straight restaurant and act as they should act as themselves because they authentically. might authentically, they want to go a place where they absolutely know they're safe. I mean, I can't tell you the feelings you, you, we got back in the day where you walk, and I'm sure people today too, you walk into a gay bar and that door closes behind you and the whole world changes because yeah. you don't have to think about what that person over there is thinking or this person over right. here or if there's going to be trouble around the corner. I think it's sad that the bars, I don't know why Fab closed. We asked Terry and Cisco to come on the show, but they declined. There is another bar in the Tower District called Vibes, which is, um, and they serve food as well. They're not technically a gay bar, but they're very, very welcoming. And we interviewed them on the show, uh, in the past few months and they said they kind of are hoping that things go toward just safe spaces for everybody instead of for a particular group. But I know for me, nothing is the same feeling as you get when you go into an LGBTQ Oh, no, no. And and we experienced it when we had the circle. We experienced straight men coming in there either with their girlfriends or, you know, just a bunch of friends. And with the combination of sometimes that masculinity and the alcohol, and then if a slight little infraction in their mind could get blown up. I mean, we've we've had people that ended up in the hospital from the club because um, they made a pass at a straight guy and the guy said no and they wouldn't take the no. We also. So saw um, a straight man who came into the club and they got intoxicated and they said yes. Yes, no. and you see that. But, you know, having having a place to go wherever you want to go. We can go to any restaurant in the city that we want to go to and have dinner. And I have no qualms about reaching out and holding your hand. However, there's a difference when you're in your safe space. Because I know... 
when you and I are out at the club, and we, we experienced this in San Francisco, you know, when we were up there the night for the uh, Matrix premiere. Premier. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You were sitting on the bench against the wall, and I was leaning back against you in between your legs. We were holding our drinks and holding each other, and I don't know that we could do that in a straight dance bar or a straight You know, club. we might be able to do it, depending on where it is, but... But there would be a lot of negative in, reaction. In, well, there might be, and in my mind, it, it's not... The, holding you in the gay bar and holding you in a straight bar is not the same it doesn't elicit the same emotion in me it doesn't make me as calm as it does in the gay bar when we went up to the castro for that event we were there uh, that night i was so calm and i felt safe and my stress level was almost gone well because you're in the sanctuary you're not having to look and you know glance around to make sure nobody's giving you the side eye or nobody's getting an an aggressive posture and that's what the gay bar did for so many people young kids who came out you know when they were just 19 and 20 and 21 years old all the the young ones sneaking into the bar when they were under 21 it was giving them a sense of community and a, a, a vision of what could be yeah. in their life. And I, I, I really hope, I would love for the world to be as accepting and normal for us to just be able to be ourselves and show our affection wherever we wanted to. And and by saying that, I'm not talking about going beyond the norms of societal expression. Right, right, right. Um, we've all been in, in my many, many years, we've all been to clubs that have had the back room. Right. Or clubs that were specific to a certain activity. And, and that's fine. If that's what you're into, that's fine. But, and again, uh, that was a byproduct of the fact that you could not express your sexuality exactly. or your emotion outside of the walls of those clubs so exactly that's why you know sex clubs and back rooms and all that stuff became popular because there was no other place safely to explore your sexuality right so that's what that was about and you know it, it, when i was tending bar in the first few clubs that i tended that were gay bars of course i hadn't come out to my family and um true funny story one day i was walking through the mall with my mother we were shopping and it seemed like every shoe salesman and all the boys in retail, I would walk by and they'd go, hey, James. And I'd be like, hi. And my mother would be like, hey, where do you know him from? And I'm like, school. Yeah. School, yeah. you know, because I was in college I at thought the time. over there. You know, I, I just, it was so funny because recognizing someone from that community outside of the sanctuary of the bar was always a challenge because you didn't know how open they were to... Yeah, sometimes they're completely shut off when they're in public and they don't want you to say hi or acknowledge them. Right, and we've all been there where we're like, Queen, come on. And that just adds to the stress and isolation that our community feels because if if you know that the only place you can be completely yourself is within the four walls of that club, and when you go back out in the real world and you see that person, you have to go all the way back to closet land and decide, can I say hi to them? Can I talk to them? Can I tell them a joke on any of that stuff? I ran into that many, many times. And and that plays into the stress of living your life less than the authentic self that you yeah, are. Yeah. And you and I have talked about time and time again how coming out to everybody 
that you know, all your family, you know, your friends. It lifts such a weight off your shoulder that you didn't even know was there. Right. And gay bars helped bring you to that point because it taught you about something that was possible and it taught you we're a lot of fun, we're having a great time, I want to be myself all the time. And coming out is not a one-time thing. Coming out is an every... Oh, it's constant. Every day of your life. Constant. For the rest of your life. Yeah. We'll always be coming out. Every time you get a job, you have to wonder, can I come out to these people at my job? And it's just constant struggle. So I don't think the stress ever goes away. There are some people that they don't have the stress about it. I don't think that's most of the community at all, especially what's going on in politics the last couple of years and what's going to amp up really high in the next few months. Um, with the anti-trans laws and the anti-LGBTQ book laws all going across the country, it makes us more aware that we thought things were going one direction and now they're going the other. And see, in my, my own little way, especially where, where I work, I'm constantly meeting families and people, different people every day. I make it a point in my own quiet way to mention my husband or if they, you know, they, they'll they say, you know, women always, especially, they say, oh, I see you're married. And I say, yes. And what's your what's your wife's name? And I say, Christopher. You know, well, and if you I, say I, Chris, it could be a well, woman. Well, yeah, that's why I say Christopher. <laughs> but they, you know, a, a subtle way, just bring it about so people will understand and let others know, especially the people around us, that there are people like them. And you don't have to just be in the bar and you can live your authentic life everywhere. You know, I was listening to a podcast earlier um, with Mark Marin and John Oliver mm-hmm. from HBO. And they were talking about the election coming up and they were talking about the wedge issues that we all deal with. And their question to themselves was, you know, what we we hear about these wedge issues, the bathroom issues and all this, we hear about it, but we don't really know who truly stands behind those things. We don't know if they really believe what they're espousing. Right. And that can be difficult because it's so blown up in the media, we think it's everywhere. But oftentimes you go out into the public and you say my husband, or I know we say it sometimes at the grocery store, or, you know, my husband. And most of the time I get a good reaction. Mm-hmm. So how much of this animosity is out there? We don't know. And how much are people, how much are people judging us or not judging us? You almost don't know. And we're going to find out a lot of that this year. I, I think so. There's certain groups and certain people that have a lot of influence and a lot of money that they hold over politicians to direct policy into a space that they're most comfortable with. A lot of the wedge issues that come about, I think, are sometimes over-manufactured because they know that it's something that can stir up the community or the base, as it were, of their voters. So I think they try to institute these wedge issues to get everybody riled up, and they don't necessarily believe it's true. They don't necessarily believe in the, the book banning and everything. What's interesting is that they've been failing and failing like the abort you know they overturned roe v wade and lots of states are now getting abortion rights on the ballot so that they can enshrine abortion rights in their to their into their constitutions right. uh, we just saw an election was it yesterday or the day before in new york that mm-hmm. the republican lost it even when these 
issues are failing them at the voting booth, they're still standing by them and even going further. There's there's a group now that want, in Florida, of course, that wants to ban all LGBT books, not right. LGBT books that right. might have sexual content, but all of them. So, and, and we, we always talk about this. We knew it was moving in this direction where it's moving toward not just sexual conduct. That's how they started it because that's how they rile people up. But eventually it'll be, we don't want LGBTQ books. I don't know if you saw this, but Ron DeSantis is now kind of backing off of his, uh, book with bands, which he says are right. not bands because he's saying so many people uh, across the state are objecting to books such as the Bible that it's not really doing what it was intended to do. So now it's coming back at him. Of course, the backlash. And, yeah, and he, now he's saying, he, I think he wants to pass something that says you can only, you know, uh, request do so many requests a year to ban books and that he's trying to pull and back on the, and he's the one that started it the interesting thing about that this is it's a classic case of be careful what you wish for. right exactly because they didn't count on people being smart enough to counter a gay book ban by saying the bible Right. Has, you know, sex, violence, uh, sex, graphic. violence, murder, death. There, I, I read today and I, I'm trying to remember who it was from. I'm, I'm thinking Russell Bertram or something that he was asked, how does fascism start? And he said something to the effect of you mystify the ignorant and silence the intelligent. Mm -hmm. And that's how it starts. And what it, it resonated with me because I'm like, this is what they're doing. They're, they're triggering people with these little things. We found out at the beginning of this book banning, it was what, two women in Florida that listed the first hundred two or books three or so? People, yeah. And it's ridiculous. But it was enough to get everybody riled up. And so they don't report the whole text of what they're they're trying to pass but then they pass it and people read the text and they're smart enough to know okay so now we can go against them and their beliefs yeah and now they're trying to backtrack yeah so we're talking about kind of prejudging people and i want to talk about something else that happened <laughs> recently toby keith the big country singer passed mm -hmm. away i love this bar yeah uh, oh is, is he do i love <laughs> He's this the bar? one who i played that every every night at the end of my shift at the red lantern yeah yeah. And, um, so he passed away from stomach I think cancer. Stomach cancer. I think it was. Yes. But, you know, I am one of those people that, you know, too much radical patriotism bothers me. Mm -hmm. And that's not because I don't love this country, because I do love this country very much. But for our community, for the LGBTQ plus community, radical patriotism has very often been behind prejudice and hatred and, of course. and, and violence. What triggered this in me was I'd heard Toby Keith had died. I didn't think too much about it. Um, and then I saw Stephen Colbert on his late night show did a little piece the other night because he and Toby Keith were great friends. Mm -hmm. And his intro to the piece was that he was going to interview Toby Keith a few years ago. And he had decided before he went out that Toby Keith was a redneck, a Republican and a right winger. And he was going to kind of take him down on those points. Justifiably so, based on the imagery and the music. Right, because I think any of us, I thought that. 
I thought well, sure he I was. Did too. And then Stephen said, I decided before I went out that, you know, I'm the host. I can't just do this. I need to give him a chance. And mm-hmm. he did. And he found out. He said, uh, quote, I was lucky enough to become friends with Toby over the years, as improbable as that seems. The day Toby was on the show, Colbert said he was taught not to prejudge a guest. He said he learned to have my intention, but to keep my eyes open to the reality of who they are. Uh, Toby taught me not to judge people too quickly. Now, turns out Toby was not a Republican. No. He was an independent. His whole family is Democrat. Um, I saw, I, after I saw that, I wanted to dig into it further. So I found a Dan Rather interview with Toby. And, um, on that interview, uh, Toby talked about writing his first big, I guess you'd call patriotic song called Courtesy of the Red, White and Blue. And he said it blew up in his face. He said, quote, when, when was it not okay to support the military? Because he is, a, he comes from a military family. Uh, he said everybody called him a right wing Republican and he's an independent and his family is Democrat. So that made, the whole thing made me feel bad because I had prejudged Toby. I wouldn't listen to his music. I didn't like the idea of his music when I could see him at rallies because, you know, everybody gets all right. riled up. Right. I, I, you know, I, I want to point out there's a real history with the LGBT community with the, I'm going to say the waving of the flag. Often it's a flag in the back of a pickup or something. I mean, when we see those things, of course, we're Americans who love our country and we like, we like the flag, but we are, at least I am, put on alert if I see it in the back of a truck driving around or if I see somebody waving a big old one that looks like a country boy it scares me it's a stereotypical image of a redneck potential enemy of yours or aggressor of yours right I I'm like you and I I know you Chris I've known you for years I know you love this country you know I love this country I was raised military it was a tough environment to be a gay boy in of course um, years later I could joke with my father that he made me gay by raising me around bureau men in uniform but it was always a old man in uniform. I, I have found myself at times standing outside a building and watching the flag in the wind, and I get a very strong sense of pride. Right. Okay? And you're right. We, we all prejudge. We've all prejudged from the time, you know, we were old enough to start thinking. And I don't know about you, but when I was young and gay, like in the 70s, early 80s, was very often said about the gay community if you don't we they automatic first of all they they on that side tend to automatically assume we're not patriotic we don't love the country right. and then they would follow it up with if you don't like the country leave, leave. they would tell us get out of the country in other words we you know, we're not allowed not only to be gay but to have an, a different opinion, opinion about anything that they believe in and i always countered that that statement when somebody says if you don't like it leave i look at them and i say no because the entire point of this country, one of the most fundamental rights that we have is the right to speak up against things that we don't believe in or things that we don't agree with without fear of retribution, without fear of being put in jail, without fear of being murdered. So.
the fact that they tell us to, to go ahead and leave, that's the entire point of this country. That's right, the exactly. entire point of that flag that's flying on that pole is this is where you can speak up. We're not living in a country in, in you know, some parts of the world where we could be thrown off a building simply for loving another right. man or another woman if you were a woman. We have that opportunity because that's what this country stands for. You know, when we um, flew the prior flag uh last year last june mm-hmm. there was an incident at the house i happened to be home and some kids came and they grabbed the flag and they bent the flagpole and they were just going they tore it down and they were going after it um i was home and i yelled and they ran off um i posted it on the neighbor app i don't right. know remember the name of the app but i posted it because these kids i found out as, after, right after that incident, a woman from down the street who's also a member of our community came over and said they were also um, banging on our door. And right. so I thought maybe they're targeting the queer community because we happen to have last year five or six five, pride flags on, five the street, on the street, which is unusual for the neighborhood that we live in. So I posted it on this neighbor app and one some guy commented, he goes, well, they wouldn't have touched it. At least they touched the right flag. They wouldn't have touched it because you wouldn't fly any other flag. Now, at the end of June every year, I put out the American flag on yes. our flagpole to celebrate July 4th and right. all that. So I, and this was at the very end of June when this happened. So I said, actually, I'm putting the American flag up, you know, tomorrow or whatever, mm-hmm. in a couple of days right. or whatever. And then I, shared a picture of the american flag and he shut right up but they assume that if you fly this is what really kind of pisses me off about the uh pride flag uh, so many people will say if you're flying the pride flag you're anti-american because why aren't you flying the american flag well i can fly fly both flags Absolutely. i mean we fly the pride flag during june because it's pride month mm-hmm. and then july we fly the american flag so they use it against us and we kind of prejudge them we sometimes prejudge when them based on that They prejudge us based on what they were taught growing up. And, and, you know, this is, this is the thing. Um, if, if this, if you're taught to hate like that without any real knowledge, that's what we have to overcome. That's what we fight every day. Yeah. So I think we have to, I, I, I really, I've been struggling with the Toby Keith thing because it's not just about Toby Keith because of course I didn't know Toby Keith. Um, but it really opened my eyes to am I prejudging other people because I see someone is dressed maybe in a redneck kind of way and mm-hmm. am I walking away from them because I'm afraid I might get confronted. So I think we all need to check ourselves about how we prejudge people. God knows right now in this country we are completely divided. Right. Um, I'm hoping as we come into the election that we have more people on our side and not meaning the queer side, but the liberal side and the constitution side and uh, the civil rights side than we do on the people that are trying to restrict other people's rights because they basically don't understand who other people are. Right. It's it's very easy to to make a snap judgment in your mind when you see a visual in front of you that has always represented one thing over another. 
I, I hope, and I know you hope as well, that we, we get to a point where we can look at somebody who may not look like we want them to look and yet still be curious enough to want to know about them and learn about their character and their thoughts, just like Stephen had to do with, with Toby Keith. He found a person that he ended up being great friends with, and he never would have thought that. Right, he would have missed out on that friendship because yeah, of his prejudgment. Absolutely. So we all need to check ourselves that way. I know I do, and I'm working through it with not Toby Keith again because I didn't know him personally, but with how I, you know, I'm always, I'm on the LGBTQ civil rights of things, so I'm always thinking that everybody else is coming after us. But, you know, we have our own mindsets and we prejudge other people. And oh, we, need, we need to think of about course. that. Um we do have another interview. This one is with Patricia Brown, who is on the March 5th ballot. All right. Well, we would like to welcome Patricia Brown to It's a Queer Thing. Patricia is a friend of the show. She's been on a couple of times. Patricia, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Chris. We're having you because you're on the ballot uh, for the election coming up um, March 5th. We'd like to know a little bit about your background and then uh, why you're running for this position. So I'm on the ballot as Patricia Brown. I'm running for the Fresno County Democratic Central Committee from District 3. That's determined by um, what uh, Board of Supervisors district that you're in. And I'm a Democrat who grew up with a mother raised by a single mother, parents who lived in a a boxcar. We were pretty poor. And four sisters who had to face systemic misogyny. So I was the first in my family to attend college. I went to UC Santa Cruz, where I studied politics and I became a progressive dedicated to fighting social injustice. And I clerked for a federal judge for two years here in Fresno. And for 30 years, I've advocated for women and children as a family law attorney. I retired uh, about a year ago, but I'm still having my pulse on uh, political uh, issues and legal issues. And uh, I want to say that the Democratic Party is a large, diverse tent protecting rights and freedoms, a party always striving to make all of our lives better. And uh, basically, out of the 58 counties in California, each county has a Democratic Central Committee, and we have a wonderful office downtown for us now on U Street that is the hub for all Democrats and people that are interested in organizing to come in and work on the 2024 campaign. So uh, this is my, I'm running for re-election, which means this would be my third four-year term and I have been on the Central Committee for uh, six years. And I bring a lot of long-term relationships with candidates and other uh, community leaders. I've written extensively for the Fresno Bee and the Community Alliance, where I published many, many times. And I'm well-spoken on issues like gun safety, domestic violence, abortion, LGBTQ, voting rights, speaking at our democratic clubs, political marches, schools, town halls, TV, and now this radio show. (laughs) That's great. Um, So what do you have to say about 
a lot of political propaganda that's happening and what happened to, to Joe Biden this week, et cetera? Well, first of all, as Nancy Pelosi always says, we can't agonize, we have to organize. And there is a big difference between a political perspective, which we're talking about now, and which is uh, when we talk about um, uh, democratic politics and political propaganda, always making the other person, the enemy like Fox, making the default being basically distrust of news, media, the rule of law, government, and really a betrayal of the working class. So I think, first of all, we have to start with that distinction between political perspective and political propaganda. And so we've seen a lot of that, particularly this week, you know, talking about uh, Biden's age versus Trump's age, which is just uh, basically a red herring because, you know, if you were married to somebody that's 81 and then uh, they married somebody who was like 78, like Trump, you wouldn't say, oh, my God, they <laughs> married a, young, a younger person. You know right, what I mean? Right. And so uh, anyway, I just want to underscore uh, that we Democrats welcome everyone. I am a member of the Black Women's Organization for Political Action. I've been a long-term member of the Stonewall Democratic Club. I was an escort for Planned Parenthood. I was a founding member of the California Latina Dems. And so basically, we'll welcome you into the Democratic fold, whatever your uh, political uh, leanings are. If you're an independent, a Democrat, a Republican, we welcome you. I'm also a past president of the Fresno County Democratic Women's Club, which has been around since 1932. I'm the co-founder of the Democratic Women in Action Club. I co-manage Hillary Clinton's office here in Fresno in a union shop. So I'm a big proponent of unionizing. And also, I want to underscore that as a pro bono attorney, that means I work for free. I helped secure an $8.7 million state grant for a 49-acre park in my neighborhood benefiting students, seniors, and families. What do you think uh, about what Trump's going through and all his legal battles? Do you have any premonition about how this is going to play out? I do, because, you know, this is the major contrast between what we think is going to be the front runners in, in 2024, uh, you know, Biden and, and versus Trump. And Trump has four different court cases, uh, 91 indictments, and mostly, guess what? He was found by a jury, a jury of his peers, of regular folks like you and me, of being guilty of rape. So that just tells you right there that this guy is uh, unqualified to, to have another term. And this week he's talking about how he likes those dictators. He likes, uh, you know, Putin and his friends of uh, uh, North Korea and, uh, and, and people that aren't really uh, dedicated to democracy. He has said all that stuff out loud and, and 
Then the other thing is, is that Trump and his enablers in the GOP, they now are bringing it home that they're going to come after your kids because they are gay or trans, uh, you know, trans, or they're going to come after um, our our families. And so I think Trump is uh, basically, you know, he's a huge loser. Yeah, exactly. He is the biggest loser, okay, and he's lost every single election, and he has to just own the fact that he lost the election by 8 million votes, okay? And yeah. he, he can't, he can't uh, you know, format uh, a coup, an insurrection, a violent insurrection, and get away with it like other people that have almost a thousand people that, uh, you know, were there on the day of the insurrection have already been uh, prosecuted and gone to jail. So he's not above the law. And so we have to underscore all those fabulous things that Joe Biden and, and our first black vice president our first female vice president exactly kamala harris have have brought okay they have brought our country back from covid they brought our economy back from the brink they've created 14 million jobs gas prices are down of inflation is down energy costs are down and he got bipartisan legislation passed, you know. And so all that time that um, Mr. Trump was in the presidency and he had a Republican um, uh, Congress and he couldn't get anything done. We need each other. Yeah. We support each other. And that's what we have to do going forward, okay? We can't tune out. We can't agonize. We have to organize. Yeah, and so this this ep- this interview is going to uh, uh, come out on the seventeenth of this month. Um, so we may have a Supreme Court decision about Colorado by then. Do you think they're going to say you cannot take him off the ballot? Well, like everybody else, I can't uh, predict about this uh, crazy Supreme Court, but. Uh, as er- everyone has underscored, how can the Supreme Court say we're going to leave a woman's right to her body or people's rights to what happens with their body to the states, but take away their voting rights? Okay, it goes to the states, and that's under the Constitution. And Colorado was correct in finding that he was an insurrectionist. That is after a five-day trial. That's what they found in Colorado. That it's not vague. The Constitution is not ambiguous. They actually found and they interviewed experts on both sides. And that's what the state found, okay? And every single day, there are differences of states, okay? Uh, one state will say, if you're under 35, you can't, or, uh, you know, and other states don't. And that's up to the Supreme Court to decide 
if there's conflicts of states, that's their mandate and they have actually ignored it. So I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath. They read the amicus, the prince of the court briefs from all the scholars. How can anyone say that he didn't call for people uh, to come to uh, the Capitol and be violent? How can anybody say that he sat there for hours and hours and hours and, and watch that almost his vice president was going to be hanged and he did nothing? If that's not a dereliction of duty, it never is. What do you think about his followers who continue to believe that the election, whether they truly believe it or it's just what they say to further their cause, that the election was stolen, that Trump cannot be prosecuted for anything. He didn't commit a crime as a president. This, If, if he is convicted on some of these things, and he's already been convicted on a couple, this is the first time in my lifetime that I've seen a president go through these kinds of legal battles and lose. So I, I'm on the fence about the Supreme Court ruling, on the one hand, I agree completely with what you said. On the other hand, I feel like if the Supreme Court takes him off in Colorado, it will just catapult him to more popularity, at least to more people coming out for him because they'll see it as a danger. I've never liked this argument about we need to beat him at the ballot box. Well, yes, I I do think that. But you know, we didn't think he was going to win the first time. And he came from out of nowhere and wiped out Hillary Clinton. So uh, that's in the back of my head. I want to say two things about that. Okay, Chris. And the first thing is, um, it was already left to the ballot box. And he lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. (laughs) According to those of us who can think. He lost, all right. And the other thing is, there's only one thing that Trump is good for, and that is self-promotion. And he's like a three-year-old over and over and over again who just repeats it, all right? So that's why I'm on this show today, okay? (laughs) Because what we have to do is we have to uh, not beat him at that game. We have to uh, step up and push back and say, hey, Biden may be old, we can't do anything about that, but guess what? He gets things done, unlike the no-nothing, do-nothing Congress, who has whined about the border for years and years and years, and then this week, when they had a chance to actually do something in a bipartisan, said, oh, so sorry. Okay, <laughs> Trump doesn't want us to do it. Okay, we have to just keep speaking out and pushing back. And that's why I'm here today. And that's why I'm running for the Fresno County Democratic Central Committee's District 3. Do you think, Pat, that uh, this is an age-old argument, at least it's been around for a long time, because Republicans, at least in the last 20 years or so, have been so confrontational and aggressive in their campaigning and the way they present themselves to the American public. Do you think a part of the problem with the Democratic uh, Party is that we don't verbally go after the Republicans as they go after us? Well, we've wanted to, you know, I'm kind of a good girl, you know, yeah. I'm kind, <laughs> uh, since, I was, since I was an attorney, 
you know, I want to play by the rules, okay, yeah. and play by the rule of law. You're right in that sense. We it may be a little too late, but we've got to. Uh, we we can't play nice anymore. I mean, in the sense that I I am I I'm always advocating for a peaceful <laughs> protest. Okay, course, I'm not a, a saying that about when I say fight back. Right, but we have right. to stand up to the bullies, and Trump is number one bully, number one cult, and and why people kiss his ring and genuflect to him. Who? No. Isn't it okay. fascinating, though? Doesn't it just fascinate you that we're this deep into this and he's been shown to be who he is over and over and over again? He does not have the accomplishments he says he does. Doesn't it fascinate you that these people, they don't even hear the other side? I mean, I always tell people when when Trump first came into office, you know, I always tell people, look, when we when we were talking about everything he was doing, they were like, that's because he's a Republican. I'm like, no, if Hillary Clinton had gotten in and she had done some of the things he's doing and if she had said racist things or misogynist things or anti lg I would feel the same about getting her out, whether she's on my side or not. So I don't quite get his cultish following. I don't know. I, evidently, nothing will work because at this point, really what would work i mean he said he was going to be a dictator on day one he's now praising putin that that part really surprises me because you and i both grew up in a country where russia was the enemy and nobody republican or democrat would ever dare to support russia or putin and now here he is exactly Exactly, Chris. Some of his followers, uh, Trump's fo followers, do not actually even listen to facts. Right. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about facts. They don't care about statistics. They don't care about the economy. They only care about uh, whatever he says kind of goes, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that is that is why... When you and I talk to people, when we talk to uh, our neighbors and people that are uh, Trump supporters or long-term Republicans, what we have to do is speak to their emotions. And a part of that is listening and saying, okay, what are you personally concerned about? Okay. Right. right. And, and, and what is important to you? And then saying, okay, well, if that's important to you, the Democrats have this kind of idea. And you know what? And that's not all, just like not all attorneys are the same, okay? We've course, seen yeah. some of the worst attorneys get $150 million of attorney's fees for being horrible because attorneys are supposed to speak the truth outside side of the courtroom not right. just in the courtroom right. and right. they can't even do that because trump is telling them to yell at the judge or or you know or walk out in front of the jury or anything like that it's so disrespectful they're in it for a career bump or something i i don't know why because some of the lawyers that have been involved with trump have been disbarred or have been disgraced i don't quite get how you walk into this minefield without thinking that might happen but 
You know, I, I like what you said about when you talk to people, ask people, what are they concerned about? I always feel that the best way to get a conversation going between two people who are opposed on an issue is to ask questions instead of just talking. What is it about Trump that you like? And then when they say, you know, he built a wall at the border, well, he didn't. Uh, now, whether that truth see seeps in, I don't know. But I debate people all the time, and I'm very passionate about it. And people tell me to back off a lot and I don't like to. I'm the one that will go on the Fox News sites and post a comment when everyone else is 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 MAGA and pro-Trump. And I'll go in there and post a comment and people ask me why I do it. And I say, I do it because that one person that's going to walk into that comment thread, and if they're not going to see one person stand up for the other side, then they may just accept what they're saying and not question. So um, I'm always surprised by people who are saying things that aren't true and are passionate about it. And when I say, well, how did you come across that? Where did you read about that? And then the conversation usually ends. So I think- Well, Chris, I, just, I have to acknowledge you because that's bravery. That's being courageous, okay? The tra traditionally- we were taught that if you're going to uh, see on Facebook or social media or Instagram or uh, X, if you're going to see anything, you don't get in a fight with a troll, okay? Right. But that didn't work. So it you didn't. are doing, you are being courageous, you are being brave, and we all need to do that. Yeah, I feel the same way because that's the thing people don't feed the trolls. I'm like, I, that's not the way it works in my world. I think you need to confront. Certainly, you know, there's a point to stop, but I think you need to confront. So, Pat, one thing I've always loved about you is your passion, which is clear in what we've just been talking about it. So um, you've spent how many years of your life in the political arena? Well, I started in uh, 2008. Then I started in 2013 trying to get a woman elected to president and to get Hillary Clinton to run. And then uh, when she dropped out, I supported uh, Barack Obama and um, also voted for Kamala Harris. And I've known uh, Dolores Huerta and some wonderful icons. I've met Nancy Pelosi a couple of times. And, uh, you know, today uh, is the Super Bowl and politics is my sport, okay? I'm also going to probably be watching the Puppy Bowl because uh, <laughs> not the super, not the super, because I, I love animals and love dogs and, uh -huh. and things like that. So, and baseball is my sport uh, uh, as an aside. But um, yeah, so it, it, we are welcoming anyone, whatever you want to do. If you want to write postcards and you don't want to make phone calls, uh, we can we register uh, not just Democrats but also independents. Okay? okay, and I have I've tabled a, a lot at the Big Hat Days and the Big Fresno Fair. We used to have tables, and people would uh, may or may not look at us and pass us by. But now being organized, what we do is we take our clipboard and we go to the people 
and we go up to people and we talk to them like you do. We don't sit behind our tables anymore. And that's the kind of courage and bravery um, that you've demonstrated, Chris. And I just want to really thank you for having me here today. So if you are in Fresno County Democratic Area 3 on March 5th, um, please, you can email me at pbpencraft at gmail.com. And please vote for me, Patricia Brown. The ballots have already gone out. I know some people uh, have already voted. And, but um, I really want to thank you, Chris, for hosting me today and having me here. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. And I've already voted and I voted for you, Pat. So um, I want to tell people like I do all the time, you got your ballot in the mail. Don't necessarily think you have to vote in person because something can happen that day that will distract you or make you not able to go to a polling place to vote. So get that ballot, sit down on your couch, speak it over with your partners, your spouses, your family, and talk about the issues and fill it out and get it in. So again, Pat, thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to our next term for you. You've been great, Chris. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I want to hit on a little bit of news. Uh, in Arizona, uh, Republicans in the Arizona House of Representatives have introduced a resolution that would, this is amazing, oh. that would seek to declare former President Donald Trump the winner of the 2024 presidential election, regardless of what voters decide. So now they're, and this is not binding, this is not going to take place, but yeah. the fact that they're even saying out loud that no matter what happens with the voters, we will pass a resolution that we will say that Donald Trump is the winner. So now they're not even doing it kind of behind no, the doors. they're not doing it. Well, I mean, I don't know if you saw, but uh, the, the election in New York a couple nights ago, Trump mm -hmm. is already out there saying, oh, it was a rigged election. Oh, of course. So of course. we're going to go through this again. I hope that we got smart enough through the last uh, election to know now when we see it uh, because there was just a group in Georgia they went back and did a study on the election because they thought it was rigged right. and they had to come up this week and say you know what we didn't find anything and nobody found anything there Even was no the Republicans that well, hired, this was a conservative they hired group. conservative yeah. Republican investigators and they've come up with nothing yeah, they went before a judge and he said what'd you find and we, and we, and we don't have anything <laughs> also in Georgia, um, uh, the Georgia Senate panel okayed the latest version of a don't say gay restriction. If it becomes law, private schools will not be allowed to implement curriculum or instruction addressing, quote, issues of gender identity, queer theory, gender ideology, or gender transition, unquote, without getting written permission from a parent. So... As we have predicted, um, not just are they trying to have the bathrooms, uh, uh, your gender appropriate to your bathroom or certain books that have sexual content. Now they're just trying to erase us yeah. completely. They, yeah. They're not going to talk about us. They're not going to mention us. Imagine, if you will, if you have kids out there or even if you have queer kids especially, imagine them going to school and not even they won't even be able to talk about their same-sex parents if they have same-sex parents or their experiences or feelings or emotions because they're queer. They won't even be able to verbalize it. And people 
I've heard people comment on this potential law, and they say, well, it's private school. So that means the parents are paying for the education, and, you know, it's not necessarily implemented statewide in every school. These are private schools. But this is how things begin. This is how things get to Because how it becomes normalized in a private school, and then it starts spreading out into the community. Look at look at what happened with the, the moms, the three-way moms. For liberty. Moms yeah. for liberty. Yeah. That started with one group in a private school. Yeah. And stretch out. Yeah, I mean, I always say this. This country is very, very tribal. So yeah. once something, this is this is the exact reason why Republicans repeat things over and over. Why they repeated the election was stolen. They knew it wasn't. There's very strong evidence but that they knew it wasn't. Up the but the more you say it, the more some people will believe it. And then Mystify it becomes. the yeah, ignorant. Right, right. Yep. Now, in Ohio, and I hate to bring this up because it's Ohio <laughs> where our family lives. You hear um, Ohio every day. I do. <laughs> I want you guys to do this for me. Next time you turn on the TV, just check your watch and see how many minutes in before you hear the word Ohio. It happens all the time. The heart of it all. Oh, yeah, the heart of it all. <laughs> so in Ohio, Columbus police are looking into a hate crime that happened last week near the Ohio State University's campus. Two men were caught on camera saying homophobic slurs and vandalizing a pride flag in front of a home and basically they were peeing on the mm-hmm. on the pride flag um, and then in Tennessee Tennessee approves a bill allowing anybody to refuse officiating at same-sex weddings Molly Whitehorn said let's be clear this bill is intended to exclude LGBTQ folks from equal protection under the law now they're just saying anybody can refuse to officiate a wedding I did see today that Greece passed yes. same-sex marriage which is really exciting because I want to go to Greece someday and I you know we, we were talking about going to Italy recently and uh, I was told by some people that it's very misogynistic there and kind of homophobic and the, the new see, again uh, I would never premier, have judged the, Italy that way the head of the country the woman who was just elected yeah. she's very right-wing yeah, yeah. and I the another question I heard from uh, Mark Marin and uh, John Oliver today is is it true that more countries are becoming right-wing and more right-wing leaders? It seems that way from the media coverage. But John Oliver, who's extremely smart and, and very... But uh, it's not true. He said, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's true. He didn't know either. He said, I don't know if historically it's true that there's more now than there have been, but it sure seems that way. So a lot of this is about how the media portrays things. It is, and it's about how vo- how vocal that small majority or minority is because there are a lot of very loud conservatives yeah but um they're they're over taken by the number of middle of the road and and yeah. left leaning. Yeah. So. We do want to remind people there's an election here on March 5th. Um, we want first we want to congratulate the Source LGBTQ Center in Visalia. They just received a $350,000 grant from the James Irvine uh, Foundation, but uh, let's help uh, get some people on the Fresno Board of Supervisors, mainly J- Jennifer Cruz. You can follow her at voteforjencruz.com, find her on Facebook. There's also Bryce Herrera and Dion Bordeaux, who we've interviewed all these people on the show. Um, you know, we need to get some liberals on these local boards. Um, and I think we're about 
out of time here. I, just... I will say on that story about the pride flag in yeah, Ohio, yeah. every other neighbor on that street put up pride flags and support. Yeah, of the that's couple. what I'm saying. I think I think things are going good, but you know, I don't like to think that because it can all turn around. Well, let's do our quotes for the day. Mine is: Children must be taught how to think, not what to think. By Margaret Mead. Perfect. Mine is: In a gentle way, you can shake the world. By Mahatma Gandhi. All right. So, people, you can stream the show at kfcf.org. It'll be up this weekend as a podcast. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, podcast players like Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google. Email us at it's a queer thing, T H A N G dot com. And we will see you next time.